Welcome to the 80s Arcade Podcast. Here's your host, Bob Johnson. With me today is Jerry Buckner, one half of the recording team, Buckner and Garcia. You may know him from their songs, Gotta Hear the Beat, E.T. I Love You, and probably their most famous song, Pac-Man Fever. Jerry, I always start my interviews with, what is your favorite arcade game? Well, um, I'll be real honest with you. I... I always really preferred pinball, to be honest with you. Um, but as far as arcade games go, I, probably my favorite, the one I used to enjoy was Asteroids, actually. Um, I'm just not I'm not real good at the games. Gary was better than me at Pac-Man and some of the games. I just, I think, I guess I have some sort of attention uh, deficit problem or something. Because uh, I just, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I played Pac-Man and enjoyed it, but... Uh, my attention span to those kind of things doesn't last. Now, for example, I like backgammon. I really enjoy that. And that, you know, that's a game where you, you know, you, you do some, uh, it's a lot of luck, but it's also some skill involved and you have to do a little bit of thinking, but I've, you know, I, I'm not big on, uh, on the video stuff cause I'm not good at it. Not because it's bad. Uh, I just not that good. So to answer your question, I would say, uh, I really love asteroids, uh, for whatever reason, I, I used to play it all the time. I like that. And Centipede was kind of fun. Um, and and Space Invaders. So, you know, I kind of like – and I like – I, I love Pac-Man. I just wasn't good at it. And, you know, when you're not good at something, uh, you know, it's not as much fun. Now, you know, when we would go to visit some of the game rooms back in 82, and I mentioned this in the book, I think um, – Sometimes, a lot of the times, you know, there would be guys, you know, kids or people in there that were really good at, at Pac-Man and they'd, you know, want to play us as a promotional thing. And, of course, they'd beat us because you know, they were really, they, you know, they were they were living in the arcade and they were really good. But that was kind of a funny thing that would happen. But, uh, but yeah, we, we you know, uh, I loved it. That's what got us into the record. And uh, I hope that's an answer that works. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You, you mentioned that you like pinball. Is do you still play pinball by chance, or is it more just kind of casual? Yeah, it's it's real casual. I mean, if I happen to be somewhere and there was a game there, I would probably try to play it. But I don't really go. You know, I don't go out to play games or pinball or anything um, in, in that. But I still would love love to do it. I had a pinball machine back in the eighties and went out and bought one and uh, enjoyed it. The only problem was. Uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in those and there was always, it was always breaking down. And I had a repair guy that was out at my house often enough, you know, I should have, you know, you needed a room you know, upstairs, uh, to fix stuff. But when it worked, it was great. So I guess a pinball to me was, you know, it, it, it not quite sure there's no pattern. So, you know, any given day you could do a little bit better or whatever, but, uh, no, to answer your question, I don't, uh, I haven't played pinball in a long time. So, you know, what is your favorite pastime? You know, what makes Jerry Buckner, Jerry Buckner? Well, I enjoy uh, American history and civil, the Civil War stuff. I love Civil War history. And I have, uh, you know, I like to visit some of the battlefields. Uh, I have great respect for 
for for those on both sides that were involved in that. And I really do a lot of uh, studying and research on that. I really enjoy that. And um, I've got actually one of my prized possessions is I have a uh, uh, a book full of uh, actual Civil War letters written by some of the soldiers. And it's just uh, most of them are union letters because they had more paper and pencils. The Southern soldiers didn't have a lot, you know, they, they were out there hanging by a, you know, shoestring, but I do have one, one Southern letter that it, I value because it's just to hold those in my hand and, and remember that, uh, you know, that, that these, these, these folks had written these. And I had a very close friend and we used to go out and uh, uh, hunt for uh, relics and stuff. And uh, so I've got, you know, bullets that I found, uh, uh, and, and various things from battlefields and stuff. So that's, that's one of my uh, great interests. I also love to collect records. I got tons of 45s. I love records. I like to sit and listen to them and, and, uh, dissect them. You know, when I was in high school, uh, my wife, who we were dating at the time, she said, you used to drive me crazy because I would play music. She'd come over to the house and sit there and I would play music, but I would only play like the first part of the song, maybe the verse and hook. And then I'd go to the next one. And she said, you know, you wouldn't play the whole song. And what I was doing, I didn't realize it was my brain was trying to figure out how to write songs, you know, and how to, how that all worked and everything. And so, um, over a course of time, it, it kind of helped me, but, uh, I would say those are the two main things. And then I like to kind of go out and antique a little bit. You know, I like to uh, buy a few things and uh, and do that. So that, that would be my main interest, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I actually am a, a record collector myself. Uh, I tend to specialize in the Beatles, but uh, I definitely get the obsession with vinyl. Well, I've got a... I've got a, a extended play 45 with four songs on it by the Beatles. It's worth uh, a decent amount of money. And uh, I found that I, I found that in a, I bought a, a collection of albums when I, when I would go around hanging around going to yard sales and stuff, if I saw a bunch of records or even in a store, I just make a bulk, you know, I look, them a little bit to make sure it's something I might want and you just give them a bulk figure and, and come home and look through it. And I did that this one day with some records and I found this record in the bottom of the, of the, uh, uh, the, the little bag of records I had. And it's, it's, it's really cool to have because it's, it's kind of a rare 45. You would probably, you probably have an interest in it, but, uh, yeah, I like Beatles stuff. I'm not big on, I got a bunch of albums, but I'm not big on albums. I was always kind of a 45 guy. Just, I don't know. I love, I love that. And I got tons of 45s that I've been trying to, uh, go through and, 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 um, you know, uh, get a list together of them and, and all that stuff. And I just haven't had time, but, um, but I love I love to collect records. I love to listen to them, you know, and just dissect them and and um, you know just enjoy it. It's well known that throughout much of your musical career and even today, you know, you've created jingles and do voiceover work. What what jingles you know have you done that we might know? Well, we never did anything on a national level at that time. Um, jingle wise most of it was was here in atlanta so unless you lived here you probably wouldn't you know know any of them but we we did do some jingles here that uh a place called joe rigatoni's that was big for a long time and people remember that as i say but you need to live here so nothing we didn't we didn't weren't able to do anything on a national basis just local as far as voiceovers would that still be kind of local also or was there any national voiceovers you've done Oh no, that's different. Yeah, I did. I actually did a lot of national stuff, and 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 even did a History Channel uh, a show uh, where I was a voice talent on that. 
and uh, it was called uh, Big Shrimpin' on the History Channel, kind of a similar to where the the crabbing things they did, uh, you know, that other show, whatever I forget what it's called, a similar kind of thing where the guys went out in boats and stuff. And uh, but I've done, gosh, I you know, I've done stuff for car dealers, Ford, Chevy, uh, Waffle House. I mean, it, it's just a long list. You mentioned Waffle House, and I see you just recently won an award with them. Could you tell me something about that? Yeah, Waffle House uh, is based here in Atlanta, where I live. And many, many years ago, uh, I uh, became friends with uh, Mary uh, Welch Rogers. Mary is a great talent, great singer, and she had uh, <clears throat> been uh, been on Carson and did a lot of Vegas stuff, and we became friends. And so she was married to Joe Rogers, who was the uh, owner of uh, Waffle House, family-owned. And so they got an idea. Joe got an idea about they have jukebox. At that time, they had real jukeboxes in the restaurants. And he thought it might be cool to do some Waffle House records to put in there. And so he uh, asked Mary, because of her background, to uh, to take over that. And she asked me to help out. And we uh, started Waffle House Records together. And so we uh, recorded tons of songs over the years. And um and it's grown into, you know, Waffle House is huge. Of course, there are like 26 states. There's a bunch, you know, thousands of them. And uh, it's become a real national thing. And they've and, and it's a lot of stuff happening with it. And they started this Toonies Award a couple, I think last year was the first one. And uh, so they asked me to be on the show and Mike and Danny on one of the songs that we did that I wrote, the Raisin Toast song. And uh, that's the most popular Waffle House song played on the jukebox so they wanted us to be on that show so we did it was a lot of fun and they gave us some awards and it was a cool award it's a big waffle you know it's it's a good size award very nice and uh donnie Wahlberg was on this show uh uh hootie and the blowfish a lot of a lot of big people everybody loves their award i mean no matter who they are and uh so <clears throat> that's what that was about and it's going to show the 20th which is next week uh, november 20th it's gonna it's gonna air online so I invite everybody to take a take a look at it. But it was a lot of fun doing it, and I real I was really proud to get the award. I I've got it next to the gold records here, and, and it's pretty cool. You mentioned it's going to be uh, broadcast on the twentieth. What website is that going to be on? You know, you need to go to waffleouse.com, I guess, and check that out. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but go to waffleouse.com. I'm sure they'll they have a posting there. Okay, good. Yeah, that way, people can uh, see it and uh, watch it for themselves. Sure. So, you know, how did you get started in music, going all the way back to like maybe the first time you uh, tried something in music? Well, as a kid, I started playing piano when I was around eight years old, and I was able to, you know, play stuff by ear. And uh, when my dad, uh, we had an old upright piano that my dad had been taking lessons on. He was a gospel singer and wanted to learn piano to help out, you know, to have in, in, his, in the quartet. And when I displayed some uh, some talent in that area, he switched me to the lessons. So I started taking lessons as a kid. And uh, even young, I, I just, you know, I had ideas uh, to play songs and uh, and made up little songs and tunes and everything. And by the time I got into high school, uh, I really wanted to uh, start writing songs. They weren't great, but, you know, for a kid, 16, 15, 16, they, they weren't bad songs. And uh had some bands and put some bands together. Gary and I, you know, hooked up uh, when we were in junior high school. And then when we got into high school, that's when, you know, we all started playing in bands and stuff. And 
that's kind of where he and I, you know, met and started. But the music, uh, my dad, as I say, he sang. My mom was a, a singer. Um, uh, my grandmother was a pianist. Uh, there's a lot of music in in the family, and uh, I guess that's where where I got it. So from a young age, I just loved music and wanted to be a part of it. So in your early days, you were in a band called the Rogues. Uh, what is your most memorable experience from like that time period? Well, the <laughs> the Rogues uh, uh, was not really a very good band. Um, yeah, we really weren't too good. Um, it was uh, the guitar player uh, was a fellow named Jim Campbell. Jim was pretty good. Uh, a friend of mine uh, couldn't play anything, but we wanted him in the band. So he played tambourine. Uh, sadly, he has passed away just last year. Um, and let's see, who else? Oh, we had a good drummer. Lance Scarpetti was the drummer in the band. But what happened is there was a, a, a fellow that lived on our street, a policeman, and he was called the singing policeman in Akron. And he had been in some uh, doo-wop groups in the uh, 50s. And I hooked up with him and he, you know, was showing me the business. And, and then uh, I put this band together. And, and so he was, uh, you know, uh, trying to, uh, uh, you know, help us get going. So we come up with the name The Rogues because it sounded English. We thought that was cool back then, you know. And uh, and so it became Harvey Russell and The Rogues uh, on some recordings. And, um, and that's how that band was formed. Now, as far as memories of the band... Um, as I say, we weren't uh, weren't that hot. I'll tell you a funny story about the band. We had uh, uh, we lived close. To, I was lived in Akron. We lived close to Kent uh, University, uh, Kent, Ohio, where Kent State was. Anyway, uh, we had the guitar player uh, had to drop out of the group or whatever. So I'm trying to find a guitar player. Well, there was a band called the Measles that played in Kent uh, downstairs at one of the clubs up there, and the Measles. Joe Walsh was in the Measles playing guitar and so you know we knew about him he was you know he was had a name even then you know he was i mean the guy was great so i got his phone there and i called joe walsh to see if he'd be interested in playing in this this band and uh he said well you know come on up here and we'll talk about it so i drove up there it was dead of winter freezing cold snow up your butt and i drove up there and i could not find he was living in a barn or something at the time some kind of out outside of Kent there. I don't know. I don't remember the particulars. Anyway, I couldn't find the place and I uh, couldn't get hold of him. And by, so I drove back home and then some other guitar player called me. And, and so we, you know, we decided to use that guy, but I always thought Joe Walsh, you know, I mean, it would have been just awful for him to even get near that band. I mean, we just, you know, we weren't a band. We were just kids learning, you know, but, uh, high, or just out of high school. So that was, I always thought that was a funny story that we almost, almost had Joe Walsh in the band, you know? So it almost could have been Buckner, Garcia and Walsh. Well, <laughs> I mean, Buckner Garcia come along later, but even Gary, Gary was in the, the rogues for a very short period of time, but the rogues, uh, were not long lived. They didn't last long. It wasn't, uh, wasn't too good of a band. So speaking of that, how did you and Gary meet and you know, when, we met in junior high school. Uh, we didn't really play or anything then because, you know, nobody had a band. But that's where we first, you know, met each other and so forth. Then high school, we started hanging out some. And uh, Gary put a band together called Biggie and His Rat. It was two guys. It was him and a drummer. And they played at the one of the school functions. I remember there. And I was so impressed that he was playing, uh, you know, even though it was, you know, pretty horrible. Uh, of course, he had a good good voice even then. I mean, he could sing. And uh, he used to tell me, you know, he told me years later, he said, you know, when I did that 
that assembly thing, and he was singing through the PA system, which was horrible. You know, there's old tweeters in a gymnasium. He said, when I, every time I, I would accidentally touch the microphone on my lips, I'd get shocked. <laughs> but uh, Biggie and his rat, you know, uh, didn't last long. But uh, we met there, and, and eventually uh, Gary had a very successful band called The Outlaws before The Outlaws National Group. In fact, it was a guy in that group that, uh, that knew us and knew Gary, and I think kind of took that name. But anyway, uh, he had a, a band. They played in teen clubs, a very popular band. And uh, did real well through high school. And then out of high school, he and I then really hooked up and started playing together and doing stuff. And that's kind of kind of where we really got going. So I understand that the, the first song that you guys properly recorded together was a song called Gotta Hear the Beat. And you guys credit yourself as Animal Jack. What's the story behind that? Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, we were going to New York trying to you know take our songs up there and and of course you know not knowing any better thinking that we could do something i mean it's you know it was you know when you don't know you're better off sometimes but we would go up there with these songs and of course you know we'd go in somewhere and the, the guy might give us you know five minutes and you know we'd be out the door but you know we kept doing it well we get frustrated about it after a while driving up there and taking stuff and nobody you know liking it so i I got this idea. I said, why don't we just do a song with a beat in it, you know, for these jerkwads, you know, just nothing but a beat and take that, see if they like that, you know? And so it was kind of a joke that we put it together and recorded it. Uh, the original version, you know, it was kind of like, a, I mean, we kind of, kind of patterned it after the uh, uh, Napoleon, the 14th uh, uh, coming to take me away kind of thing. You know, it was kind of a, just a novelty thing. It was really a joke, you know, it was just, releasing our frustrations but the darn thing we did it and it ended up getting radio play locally and we ended up selling it over a period of years to three different record companies and uh it never it never uh never hit national but it was one of those records that uh that these guys would hear and they'd go man you know that, that could be something you know and they would they buy it and put it out and it just never quite uh quite made it but uh and then we decided to get a crazy name so we call it animal jack and uh gary did some promo pictures of himself looking like a like a i remember we we uh, a local radio show they were doing a radio station they were doing some kind of benefit at the civic theater one of the big theaters there in akron and asked us to you know come on there because they were playing our record so we went down to lip sync it and gary goes out, you know, there's nothing I could do. He went out on stage to lip sync this record. And he told me that he says, when it started up, he said, when I started doing it and then screaming halfway through, he started screaming. He said, the people on the front row, I looked down, they looked terrorized. Like <laughs> they, were, they didn't know if I was going to jump down there and, you know, attack them or whatever. We always laughed about that. Uh, do you happen to remember any of the labels that released that record? And do you have copies yeah, of it? Well, sure, yeah. Lori Records, which was in the 50s and 60s and even 70s, was a major label out of New York. They had Jerry and the Pacemakers and uh, Dion. They had a bunch of acts, and they put it out. Uh, Four-star four records in Nashville put it out, and uh, da, 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 I can't think of the other label. I remember one guy one time listened to it, and he said, you know, this is a horrible record. He said, but I thought uh, Surfing Bird was horrible, and it sold like, you know, a million and a half copies. I'll take it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> tell you a funny story associated with that song. Uh, we took it to a local station in Akron, and we went in there, and the program director there, you know, he's, you know he takes it, and he listens to it. We go in the control room. He listens to it, and he goes, 
you know, he said, I don't know. He said, uh, it, it doesn't sound like, he said, let me play a real hit. And he put on some record by Credence or somebody. Well, Gary, you know, uh, it, this business could be, you know, very frustrating. So Gary says, man, he said, the only reason you know that's a hit is because it's, you know, it's a hit because it's a major group. You know, you wouldn't know how to pick a real hit. And this argument ensues, you know, and this guy's insulted, of course. And, I mean, we broke every law that day, uh, or every rule of the record business. You don't piss off a program director at a radio station. I mean, that's stupid. Well, we didn't care. So we're yelling, and it gets ugly. I mean, there's all kinds of yelling back and forth. This guy tells us to get out of his stage, out of there, and he breaks the record, which is not easy to do. On the, You know, those are unbreakable. Breaks the record, throws it at us. It hits the wall next to Gary's head. And, of course, Gary gives the guy the finger out the door and all that stuff. i never forget. We went down and sat at a McDonald's and said, well, we blew that, didn't we? You know, drinking coffee. Uh, funny, the funny thing is uh, they ended up playing the record, and but they would not admit to it uh, after that. But they played it. And years later, when Pac-Man was a hit, uh, big hit, monster hit worldwide, uh, the label calls our management company and go, there's a station in Charleston, a big station there, and the guy won't play our record. Uh, some kind of problem he has with, with Buckner and Garcia. It turns out that this guy had been in Akron. He eventually went on and became program director at a bigger station in, in Charleston, West Virginia. And he never forgot that and held it against <laughs> us. You know, wouldn't, 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 I, I always said, yeah, they're playing it. He's just saying that just like he did in Akron. But yeah, that, that came up again. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Pac-Man fever, you know how how did that come about? That was a result of us. Uh, we were working in the studio at the time on some commercial jingles uh, in here in Atlanta, actually in a little town uh, suburb called Marietta. And we took a you know took a break for dinner at night because we used to like to work in the afternoon, early evenings. Went to this restaurant called Shillings on the Square. Went in there and there was this machine sitting there. One of the nights we went in there, brand you know, brand new, and we saw people you know it, playing it and stuff. So we went over and it was Pac-Man. We'd never heard of it, but we started playing. We got hooked, you know, like everybody else. And pretty soon we're spending more time in there than we are in the studio, you know, working. So um, we thought it might be a cool idea to do something with it. Just we were thinking locally, like you know, maybe we can get some you know. Uh, attention for our jingle service, you know, for our uh, company. So that was the original idea was, you know, do something. So we, uh, you know, we worked on it and then we thought, well, we're going to take it over to the Bowie Geller organization, which was a, uh, they had the Atlanta rhythm section and Alicia Bridges and uh, they had several acts here in Atlanta. And we thought, we'll take it over there as a song, see what they think. And so uh, they said, you know, okay, we kind of like this, you know, you guys want to cut, you know, do it. So they had a studio so we did. Now, we changed the lyrics, um, the original lyrics, not the chorus, but the original lyrics we changed. I wish I'd saved them, but I didn't. But uh, we changed the lyrics and went in and recorded it. And uh, that's really how it uh, came about. You mentioned about the different lyrics. Do you have to remember anything about them at all? Maybe no, even the no. ideas? No, I sure don't. I wish I did. No. no they, I remember, you know, they're probably on a legal pad somewhere by throwing in the trash, you know. So when you did Pac-Man Fever, did you have any inkling that it would even be any kind of a hit? I didn't. Um, I, I will say this though: I, I did uh, as we did it, and and of course as we as we as when it was done, um, I thought I knew it was really good. You know, now Gary said he he thought he knew it was a hit. I don't know, but I could 
I, you know, I could listen to it and go, you know, this is really, this is really good. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, and, and, and we did a lot of recording of songs, Gary and I, you know, when we do a jingle in a studio at the end, if we got done early enough, then we would record a, a song of our own or whatever. So, you know, we were always working on songs and recording. And I, I thought, man, you know, we've, I think we got something here. I really felt like it was really good, but I can't say that I thought it was a hit at, right as we recorded it. I mean, you know, right when it was done. Uh, you know, since the, the Pac-Man Fever single and the rest of the album were recorded under different situations, uh, can you compare kind of like the feeling of recording the single versus the recording of the rest of the album? Well, we were hoping that, you know, we were going to just do some of our regular songs for the album, but CBS said, no, we want all game songs. So, okay, well, you know, we can't, t- you know, you're not going to tell CBS what to do. So we said, okay. But no, the energy level uh, was just maybe even more so for the album because the by the time we did an album, the single was really taken off. So we knew we had something. We were into something. And uh, we were very, very into it. And we worked night and day on it. And uh, so the energy level, I think, was was there. I think you can hear it in the tracks. I mean, it just we were pumped up, you know, for everything. So we really enjoyed it, doing it. So were there any, like, alternate versions of like songs from the album that, you know, might get released someday or. Well, interesting thing about the album, uh, which is, which is kind of rare. Most people, you know, no matter who the artist is, they're going to know the one, two or three hits on the album or whatever. In our album, uh, everybody pretty much knows all the songs because I think they played, you know, when they played the album, they played everything. And and so there's an awareness of each of the songs. I mean, obviously, Pac-Man Fever dominates the uh, the album and, and, and you can see it in the internet plays and all that stuff, videos. But but people know all all those uh, songs. Um, I don't know. I don't think there was a, you know, there was a second single, Donkey Kong, which didn't, you know, do too well because, I mean, how are you going to follow Pac-Man? I mean, it was just, you know hard to do but uh it it did okay no i don't think there'll be anything released as a single from it but i think that we tried to write good pop songs for each of these we didn't want to just throw in sound effects on a you know some uh lame sound track you know just to take advantage we took it very serious and um and tried to write good songs that we thought would be good songs on their own of course, we understood what we were doing and that these were related to the game. So that's how we, you know, wrote them. But we did try to melody wise, production wise, instrumentation wise, even lyrically tried to try to make each song its own, the best that we could do. And I think most people, you know, see that and recognize that. So what would you say is your favorite song from the Pac-Man album? Well, if I sit down to listen to the album, the first track I like to listen to is Centipede. I, I like I just love the the feel of the track. I love the sound of it. I love the chord structure. Uh, I love the guitar solo in it. Um, and that that's that's the one I would enjoy listening to. But uh, probably Donkey Kong would be next. I mean, Pac-Man you have to exclude because it's just you know it's unto itself. So I mean, I'm not I'm not you know I'm not excluding it or dissing it. It's just I, when you say album, I assume you mean you know besides Pac-Man Fever. Um, so that's why I say I would. Uh, it, to just listen to, I love I love the centipede song, and uh, um, you want to know my least favorite? Yeah, what's your least favorite? Uh, would be uh, uh, Mousetrap, which a lot of people like that. I just never cared much for it. 
myself. I thought of all the songs, it was, you know, the least well done of all of them. As we heard, um, there were two songs that, of course, were originally written first as non-game songs that became gaming songs. Can you tell me a little about that? Well, yeah, this, that you're talking about Mousetrap and uh, uh, Berserk. Those were actually two pop songs, and we had already recorded those before Mickey Eisner came down, the vice president of CBS came down to Atlanta to, to listen to what we were doing and have some meetings. And he said, no, guys, look, we got to have game songs. So we had already put a lot of time and money into these two tracks. So we thought, okay, so we went in and Gary rewrote lyrics to for game songs. And, uh, and that's what happened with those. So we have versions of those two songs uh, in their original form with the original lyrics. So it's kind of neat, interesting to hear those and then hear how we had to convert them to game songs. And we didn't really like doing that, but that's the way it turned out. Uh, is there any chance those songs will ever be released in their original form? Yeah, I think uh, I think they're in the Pac-Man vault. I believe they are. Uh, and that's that's on, you can find online Pac-Man vault. Uh, it's a membership thing. I don't know how much it is. It's, it's not that expensive, but, um, and there may be, I don't know if they made it on YouTube or not. I don't know. Um, I will, uh, I'll check on that and, and send you, let you know what I find out. Thank you. Um, interesting enough, you've mentioned that Mousetrap was your least favorite song off the album. And yet that was one of the ones, as you just mentioned, that was an original song. Would you say that the reason you don't like it as much is because it became Mousetrap or maybe it was the original form wasn't as uh, good as you would like to have had it been. Well, this, the original song was called Pretty Thing and was actually recorded uh, by another group. And uh, we always thought that that was a hit itself, that, that song. I loved that song as as the way it was. So probably, yeah, probably because because of the the changing of it, I just didn't care for it. I never, I guess I, because I really thought that was a great song. And uh, a group called Choice, and they were on a major label, recorded that produced by Bruce Blackman. Anyway, they and he thought it was a hit too, but it, it never quite uh, quite surfaced that way. But yeah, probably, I probably just, I don't know, I just never cared for it that much. But I was surprised. A lot of people like that song. Is there a game that you would have liked to have done a song about, but either you couldn't or didn't, and why? I wish we had done one for Space Invaders, which was a hot, you know, that was a big game at the time. And I don't know why we didn't do it. I, I really don't know. Uh, I always, I mean, it's, it's crazy that, you know, you say, well, only you would know. And I, I don't I don't remember it even coming up. It might have been because the title, you know, would be hard to do. Um, but I, you know, to, to put into a song. But uh, I don't know why we didn't do that. But uh, other than that, no, I think we, you know, I think we, uh and pa- I always like Paperboy. I wish we'd done something for Paperboy. I thought that was a cool game. You know, in your book, you mentioned that Pac-Man Fever is only performed live twice. You said once at Chris Bowen's wedding, and the other time was a venue called The Moon Shadow. The video for the, the wedding performance is available through the book. Uh, but to my knowledge, I was not able to find The Moon Shadow performance. Do you happen to have a copy of that? And you know what was what was special about that performance? Well, by the way, thanks for mentioning the book, Pac-Man Fever, just released, and you can find it on Amazon, pacmanfever.com, I guess, go to Amazon. Um, Moonshadow was, that wasn't recorded, nothing was recorded there. Uh, we actually performed Moonshadow twice, 
the second time we were there, we performed E.T. I Love You, which was recorded. And parts of it were played on uh, Entertainment Tonight, uh, who came to, came there and interviewed us and then recorded that. But the first appearance was Pac-Man at that club. It was, it was a big club here in Atlanta. And uh, uh, it was not recorded, you know. The wedding was was Chris Bowman's way. Chris played guitar on several tracks on the album. He's a very close and dear friend, still is. Uh, and uh, he played played on uh, the original album. And so when we played live, we, you know, lassoed him and corralled him into doing it. Jenny Whitaker played drums. She was terrific. She was a great drummer. Really, really good. Played with Country Joe and the Fish, a lot of different groups. Um, and she did. She's sadly has uh, passed away, but she she was on drums and then Chris on guitar. And so anyway, when Chris got married, he was close friend. And we said, hey, you know, we were invited to the wedding. Well, there was a band at the wedding. And, uh, you know, at some point they say, hey, you guys want to come up and play something? So we did. And we decided to play the song. It was a big wedding reception. And so we played it and somebody taped it. And it just surfaced like, gosh, I, like in the last couple of years, uh, the, the guy that had recorded that, uh, I guess going through his stuff, he found it or whatever, he put it up. And so when I saw that, I was, it was thrilled, you know, the, to hear that. And so we, you know, we grabbed a copy of it. Uh, but yeah, we, you know, we, we had offers for imp- you know, to do some appearances, but we didn't really want to do it at the time. And I'm not really sure why, you know, I mean, they wanted us to come out to California and do some shows out there, some of those uh, theme parks and stuff. This, you know, back in the 80s. But I, I don't know. We just, uh, for whatever reason, you know, we we didn't we didn't do it. Um, I don't know. I, I can't give you a clear answer on that, except that we. Um, I wish we had. In in retrospect, I wish we had, um, but we didn't. So kind of building on that, you know. Looking back at the whole Pac-Man fever phenomena from that time, you know, is there anything that you would have done differently knowing what you know now? Uh, not not recording-wise, no, I don't think so. Um, I probably would have preferred a little bit more information about us on the back of the album cover maybe, maybe even a little picture, just something to to give us more of an artist appearance, you know, for other stuff. Um, would have been kind of nice, but uh, it didn't work out that way. But as far as the recording goes, no, I think uh, I think we did you know about as good as we were capable of doing. In 1999, you re-recorded the Pac-Man Home Fever. What? Why was that? Well, CBS declined to put it out, probably because of the legal ramifications. That album was a legal nightmare because we had to get permission from all these companies to do these songs and use their sound effects. And I assume that's probably why they, they never really told us why they didn't put it out, but they didn't, but everybody wanted it back, you know, back when CDs hit and was big, everybody wanted that on CD. So when they, they said they weren't going to do it. So we went in and, and did a re-record. And I thought, I thought we did a pretty good job. You know, I mean, we get, gosh, you know, there's always people want to criticize and be critical. I mean, it wasn't perfectly redone, uh, but I, th- I thought we did you know, a pretty good job. In fact, I think Pac-Man Fever, the, re- the redo version is real close to the original, you know, real close, not quite the same. The guitar solo is not quite the same, but I know if I'm hearing just a verse or chorus in it, 
uh, sometimes I'm not sure which one is original and which one isn't, you know, until I hear the guitar solo. But the other ones, you know, there was, I mean, we couldn't find uh, the actual original sound effects for, uh, which one was it? Uh, Might have been Mousetrap. Uh, but, and we had to kind of fake that, you know, and of course people, you know, criticize us for that and, you know, but all in all, I think people liked it and, and we just were trying to give them something that, that they wanted and we tried to do the best we could to recreate it. And I think the vocals and stuff, I think it was, you know, about as good as you're going to do on a redo. I have to agree. I, I own copies of both of them and, um, I, I really enjoy both of them and, and agree with you that they are it's close enough that really it, it like I said, they're both very enjoyable records as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's not, I would say the big difference is the original album. First off, the energy level there was really, you know, really in high gear and it was live drums. It was live playing the redo. Of course, I think, you know, was programmed drums. So it was a little bit more perfect sounding. You didn't quite have that, you know, you get an edge to a live version. I mean, I like the live because you got that, that, just that feel in there and that edge. And, uh, but uh, that would probably be, uh, you know, one of the big difference. And of course, the background vocals were different people. So that's going to be a little different. And the solos and certain solos are not going to be quite the same. So um, I would say that's the biggest difference is the set, you know, the redo version was probably, you know, a little bit more, you know, not, not quite the same feel, but close. So, uh, probably not, but has there been any, any interest from CBS or Sony about, you know, releasing the Pac-Man fever, given the fact that the 40th anniversary is coming up, maybe like as a double CD download package, like including your version also the re-recorded? Not nothing, not that we're aware of. We haven't heard a word out of them. Okay. Um, what can you tell me about the um, the, the Jace Hall Richie Knuckles version that you guys did a few years ago? Okay, you mean uh, Pac Man Eat 'Em Up, the 2015 release? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I got it in my head. You know, of course, Gary passed away in 2011, so uh, I got it in my head that maybe we should do an updated version of it. Um, because, you know, things were really starting to pop. The whole cultural thing, uh, pop culture thing was kicking in. And I thought, maybe we should do a newer version, you know, so for the, you know, younger younger crowd that hadn't been around for the first one. So we we did uh, go at it from that direction. And uh, now Richie did a version of his own prior to this that he put out. You know, Richie's a good friend. I'm, I assume you know who he is. I do. And, and he was a good friend. We, we've worked together at a few shows and stuff and always like love Richie. Uh, but as far as uh, Jace Hall, Jace Hall had interviewed me, gosh, a couple, you know, two, three, four years before the redo. And he and I, you know, we knew each other and occasionally talked. Well, he did a video. I don't know if you ever saw it. He did a video of the song, the original song. It was a pretty cool video and put on his site. I have seen that. But, yeah, I thought, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. Well, anyway. When in the in the redo, we were trying to come up with something you know a little different, and I thought, well, maybe we should put a you know put a rap thing in there, you know, like just a little bit of a rap thing, just to give it a contemporary sound. And so, you know, I went back to that video that Ch- uh, Jace had done, and I thought, well, you know, that, that's pretty good. Let's use some of that. So we checked with him. He said, yeah, go ahead. So we used that uh, and put it in there. Now, when Richie heard it, he wasn't happy with it. 
Well, I sent it to him to see what he thought, and he he didn't like the rap part. And I realized that the people that you know liked the original record, they you know they liked the original record. <laughs> I mean, you know they didn't want to, they didn't like this newer version. I think a lot of people did like the newer version, but. Uh, the video that we did is such a great video. Steelhouse Productions did. I mean, we get, you know, we got over 10 million views. It grows every day by anywhere from seven to 10,000 new views every day. So I think that it's good in that sense that we did it. In retrospect, uh, would I do a redo again? Probably, maybe, but I I probably, and this is all apologies to Jace Hall, but I, I, I probably wouldn't do that part of it again. I would just do the song with, you know, the newer sounding arrangement. Um, now you mentioned, about, you know, some point, you know, Hey, maybe consider a, a redo. Would you ever consider doing a redo of any of the other songs off the album? No one has ever asked me that question. That's interesting. Um, uh, probably not. Um, I think that people like them for what they were then. I think we'd probably leave them alone, but that's a, that's an interesting question. Never even thought about it. Um, you know, Donkey Kong, um, I always liked Donkey Kong. We always thought that was a pretty good pop track. Uh, the record label decided they wanted the Frogger song. And I like the Frogger song, but I think, I'm sorry, they no, they wanted, excuse me, they wanted the, the Donkey Kong song. But we liked the Frogger song and thought they should put that out. And uh, But they decided on the, and I understand why, because it was more of a dance thing and Donkey Kong was a huge game and all that stuff. But, uh, uh no, no, I had never considered it. Kind of going away from the Pac-Man stuff. Now, you, on uh, June 10th of 2010, you and Gary released a song uh, called Keeping the Dream Alive. Uh, and with, with parts of the proceeds being donated to the All-American Soapbox Derby, um, which is based in your hometown of Akron, Ohio. How did that project come about? Okay, uh, a relative of, of mine, uh, our family uh, in Akron, our hometown, uh, Mark Williamson, uh, his wife, Mary, uh, worked at the Akron Begin Journal, the paper, the main paper there, and she was very well known around town. And Corbin Bernson uh, had come to uh, Akron to, uh, to work on a movie uh, about the Soapbox Derby. He had seen an article about it, it was dying or whatever, and he came up with a script and an idea for a film. So he came to Akron to really to generate, uh, I think, some funding to make this movie, which he was able to do. And so he came to her because they told her she knew everybody, all the movers and shakers in town. And so she uh, developed a business relationship uh, with him. And then in some conversations, uh, it, the idea, uh, not on Corbin's end, but our end, the idea come up about uh, maybe, you know, we're from Akron, you know, and maybe we could do a song to put in the film, maybe to help out, you know, give it some publicity and stuff. So uh, we went ahead and did that. And uh, so Corbin, you know, he we had some conversations back and forth, but um, he listened to the song, but he decided that he said, I don't use a lot of music in my videos and all this stuff. And um, I don't know, it did. It, it just it didn't work out. But we went ahead and, and released it and uh, sent whatever um, you know, whatever profits we got, you know, we were selling it, what, 99 cents on, on Apple, I guess. And so we made a few bucks for, to help them out, but uh, that's how it came about. We just, you know, it was our hometown. We wanted to do it and, and help out. And that's, uh, that's why it came about. Um, about a year later, um, on September 9th of 2011, you guys released a new song called found me the bomb. So 
What what's the story on that one? Well, it was an interview similar to like this, an interview we did with uh, uh, with some guys. And and uh, forgive me, I can't remember the name. This this the guy that found me the bomb. He was a top guy. Sadly, passed away. I think a couple of years ago. But uh, we did this uh, interview for their website, and uh, and they said, you know, kind of jokingly, yeah, can you do a theme song for us? So we said, yeah, sure, and uh, and we did, <laughs> and they were surprised. So we did it, and and they used it, and uh, it, that's that's really how it came about. So in 2012, you recorded the theme for the Wreck-It Ralph movie. What was that like? It was great. It was just a great experience. I was thrilled to do it. Uh, we got a call from uh, 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 Tom McDougall at Disney, uh, the, the guy head over music for the animated division, and uh, and asked us if we would do it. And we said, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I mentioned that Gary had passed, and he said, well. Do you, is someone else singing? I said, yeah, we have one of the other guys that sings a song now if we do anything, you know, any little shows. So he said, well, let's do it. So um, uh, they uh, sent a, a guy out uh, uh, to uh, to help out with uh, production. They, they already had a song in the works. And uh, uh, John O'Reilly, you know, uh, was supposed to do the song. But then they really wanted us to do it because of, uh, you know, our connection to Pac-Man and all that stuff. So uh, it was right towards just before the movie was going to come out. And it really is the theme to the movie. But because of legal ramifications about placement of songs and stuff that had been already established, they couldn't put it up front where they wanted to put it. Uh, If you when you get the when you get the album version of the soundtrack, you know, we're the we're the uh, the top song. Uh, you know, we're the considered the theme song, but anyway, uh, so, uh, uh, we, we, you know, we, we did, uh, we did the song here in Atlanta and, uh, it just, it come out great. They loved it. Disney loved it. And, and it was a thrill to go to the theater and, uh, you know, and see a Disney film and see your name in the credits. I mean, you know, that's, that was, that was a big thrill. I just wish Gary, you know, had been able to be there, but, uh, uh, the only thing, the, the one thing about that that always that got me was uh, John O'Reilly. He 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 found it necessary to uh, say negative stuff about the song when he was on the Tonight Show and a couple other shows. And I always wondered what his problem was. You know, you know, like he he acted like he he acted like he didn't do the song because uh, he was above that or so. He had some group. They do a bunch of banjo music or something. I, I went and listened to it. I thought this is what you can you know this is what you hold up is something great. You know. Sorry, pal. Uh, so, uh, but he, you know, I, I remember I called Tom at Disney. I said, what, you know, what's this guy's problem? You know, he's on the Tonight Show and, you know, saying stuff about the song. And he said, well, you know, there's nothing, you know, we have no control over that. But uh, so I never, John C. Riley, yeah, I never cared much for him. <laughs> I didn't appreciate that. There was no need for that, you know, to, I mean, you know, you're promoting a movie. I mean, why not say all good things, you know? I mean, it was a good track. It was a good pop track. People love the song. And, uh, you know, anyway. That's, that's, I agree with you. I mean, they're, they're, it, it, like you said, it was a very good song you guys did. And um, like you said, you're promoting the music and pro, uh, promoting the movie. So there's no need to. Yeah. I mean, you know, why be a butthole, you know? Exactly. Um, so, you know, you're, throughout your whole career, are there any unreleased songs that you want to release but either you can't or just some reason they're not available yet 
Well, there's one song, yeah, that no one's ever heard, really. I mean, a handful of people. We did a uh, Angry Birds song back when it was really hot, you know, when it was like the top thing going. And we could never get with that company to work something out. It was the strangest thing. Our management company, we tried everything. And they licensed everything under the sun for that. But we could not get them to give us any kind of response. I mean, nothing. You know, we tried every angle to everybody we could find and uh, never understood that. So our attorneys said, you, you're taking a chance if you put that out because now, you know, now they know, you know, they know that you, you know, we've made them aware of it and uh, and all that. And we're using some of their sound effects and talking about their game. So, you know, um, you're taking a chance if you put it out. So we had to shelf it. And it's still shelved uh, to this day. It was probably the last thing uh, Gary ever recorded before he passed away. And I, I wish we could release it. It was a really good track, um, but, uh, but we couldn't. I'm even afraid to put it, I'm afraid to put it out just, you know, just to put it out for people to hear. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, you know, we don't want to get sued. So we, we just, you know, to this day, it's still, still shelved. So what is your songwriting process? Um, I get, you know, I, I have these, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, streaks or whatever of, of songwriting. But as far as per song, uh, I, I don't know that I have a, a, a definite formula, but I usually think of the idea of the song first, and then I usually go for the, the hook part, and I'll write that first. And then the, the lyrics come last to support you know the chorus and the idea of the song that's pretty much how now when gary and i worked together we had really the perfect songwriting uh relationship because he was a great lyric guy and i think i did pretty good with the melodies and the hooks and the ideas so that's kind of how the process would be how we did all those other songs i would uh i would come up with uh, you know a hook and uh and maybe you know maybe a couple lyric lines just to you know to to use for the melody but and then I would give that to Gary and then he would go work on it. I mean, he was a great lyricist. Pac-Man Fever. I mean, that opening line, I got a pocket full of quarters. I'm headed to the arcade. I mean, that that was that was the whole song. That was the whole event. You know what I mean? That covered uh, the game and what was going on. It was just a brilliant opening line. And they it gets used all the time in interviews, you know, or newspaper articles. Uh, people will use it even when they're not talking to me. You know, it gets used all the time. It was a great line. And uh, I thought great lyrics to that song for, for the, you know, for the, uh, the subject matter, you know, um, it's a, it's a pop song. We don't claim to be, you know, heavy rockers or nothing. I mean, we were pop songwriters and we did what we did and we're proud of it. We thought we did a good job, but that, um, you know, that's how I would respond to that. So what kind of music do you like now? And has that changed throughout the years? I like a variety of stuff. You know, I was never... Uh, I mean, I love I love pop music. First off, pop music is just I love it, you know, and people I remember when Pac-Man was a hit, there was a guy uh, here in town to the keyboard player that I knew. And you know, he was kind of one of these arty guys, you know, all about the music stuff and, you know, all that. And he came to me one day and he's got this cassette and he goes, you know, he said, you know, I'm not into this pop music crap. You know, he said, but here I I I. You know, I, I put two or three songs here. Here, I'm going to give these to you so you guys can maybe do one of them. Well, I listened to it. You know, it was they were horrible. 
And I, I always said the hardest thing to get is a hip hop record. And the reason I say that is, I mean, I can sit down at the piano and, and doodle around and come up with some kind of a jazz thing and put it out there and, you know, and call it the, you know, the Georgia blues or something. And people will go, Hey man, that's cool. You know, I mean, you know, when you, when you categorize something and just, feed it to that particular core group but writing a pop song you got to appeal to a mass group of people and it's just it's just harder and of course a lot more competition too but uh i always thought that that it was you know more difficult um to write a, a pop song but i like all kinds of music i even like uh, uh opera music i had it introduced to me a few years ago you know i never liked it before then but somebody played some stuff and it was beautiful i said man this is beautiful i got into it and i really love a lot of the a lot of the of the opera music but i i would say my favorite is uh i love uh i love blues songs you know like bb king but i also like uh uh you know up-tempoed uh stuff like um Huey Lewis in the news. I love that kind. You know, I love, uh, you know, something with a feel to it. I love that. And I love the old Philly sound groups, you know, uh, bet you by golly. Wow. Those kind of songs, those big uh, ballads and uh, I'll make love to you, you know, uh, boys to men. I love those stuff. So, you know, I, I, I like a wide variety. Uh, I don't care much for what they call Southern rock. I don't care much for uh, heavy metal or rock and roll. And, you know, you probably know that story. I included it, you know, where, we were 38 special was recording. Um, you probably read that in the book. I did. Uh, they were recording, you know, and, and, and I just made a passing comment. The engineer kept just driving us nuts talking about how great 38 special was. And they were, I mean, they were a great band and great songs. I, I'm, I'm not even denying that, but you know, you're working on your own stuff and you, you know, you get tired of somebody, you know, saying and you're and you're under a lot of pressure and i just made the comment one day I, i'd heard enough out of him i said you know just a bunch of guitars and shit you know and just you know it was a passing halfway halfway comedy you know response you know well he he told him that and, and gary got blamed for the line i'm the one that said it but they blamed him and they made that picture of him it looked like a neanderthal big fat guy with a white belt on with pac-man on. i mean it was really awful picture you know and stuck it up there in the control room and so Gary said, okay, okay, that's cool. So he made this album cover, had it handmade. I mean, you know, he spent money with an artist. It looked great, like a real album cover. And it was a pile of dog crap and, you know, the lines coming off of it. And all the songs were guitars and shit, shit and guitars, two two guitars and a pile of shit. I mean, it was like that. And, you know, and and put and put it up in the control room. And, of course, they, you know, the, one of the guys got really mad about it, you know, I'm, kick his butt or something, which would have been a big mistake on his part because Gary was not the kind of guy you wanted to push around at all. Just out of curiosity, did you guys ever during those sessions consider recording a song called, you know, uh, Guitars and Shit or something? Just a little joke. (laughs) No, no, it was too, too much money, too expensive, you know, to to do that. Uh, um, So from all of your songs, pre-Pac-Man, post-Pac-Man, what are some of your favorite songs, and do you have any stories about them? Okay, you mean favorite songs that of, you've, of that you've, yeah, that you've written, that you've recorded? Oh, that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a song called "On and On" that Ann Murray, who was a big artist back in the eighties and nineties, recorded and had a pretty good size hit with. I I always liked that song. Um, I uh, let me let me. I have to think about that. I mean, I like 
a lot of the stuff Gary and I wrote, of course, I mean, you know, we wrote it and we liked it. Some of it, not everything, but uh, most of it. Um, I, uh, I just, I just finished a song just in the last month that I consider it to be one of the best things I've ever written. Actually, it's called uh, "Hello Heart." It's a pop ballad song, kind of like a kind of like an Adele kind of vocal on it, and uh, I really like it. I think it's I think it's really good. I'm spending a little time on it. I don't I don't try to do right get into the pop music field. I mean, I'm not you know I'm not in that anymore. I'm not trying to. It's a different world. But this this uh, I think this fits in pretty good. And um, I just like it lyrically. I think it's good and a great melody. Uh, so right now, that's my favorite song, I guess. You know, songwriters, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever you're working on at the time, that's, you know, that's the that's your favorite song, I guess, at the time. But uh, um, I think that uh, now I think that the Mr. T song that we did. Uh, that track. I think it was just a great track. And um, and then also we did a version of Funky Broadway. You know, we didn't write that song, but and it was never released. But I always thought that was just a killer track. But yeah, for, for original songs, I would say, uh, you know, On and On was one of my favorites because it was successful. Um, and, uh, you know, I got some other ballads that I like, you know, kind of ballad kind of things. You mentioned you wrote a new song, Hello Heart. Can you tell us a little more about that? It's a ballad. It's a real pretty. And I had, uh, actually, the girl that's on the, if you watch, uh, if you when you watch the Waffle House uh, Toonies Award, there's a girl on there that they awarded her, um, uh, gave her the uh, award for artist, the, the discovery of the year or whatever. And I asked her to sing this song, and she did a fantastic job. So, uh and that's, his name's Rosemary Joquin, Jacquin. I may have that wrong, but Rosemary, she, she, uh, just terrific singer, songwriter, and she's on that show. And as I say, she's, she demoed this for me, did an incredible job. What am I going to do with it? I don't know exactly. But, you know, if you write songs, you write them because you love to write them. You know, you can't ever quit. It's just that I don't ever want to be, you know, I mean, I've known people, older guys from the 50s and 60s, and they write songs and they're trying to get them recorded. And, you know, nobody's going to record that. It sounds like the 50s, you know. So, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, trying to push songs on people that, that aren't, you know, don't sound current. But I still love to write them. But once in a while, you get something, you know, like this song. I really like it. I think it, you know, I might try to send it around or put it up on, you know, a video or something because I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Is there anybody in the recording industry that you'd like to work with that you haven't yet? Well, at this point, I you know, I don't know. I um you know, recording, writing, recording all that. I mean, you, you know, you really have to apply yourself and uh, and then it's a war after that trying to get something done, but but just doing it. I I don't know that I have the energy level now to to like want to go work with somebody. As I say, Jamie Houston was the producer uh, that they sent Disney sent to work with us on Wreck-It Ralph. And he was terrific. Great producer. He's mixed it in LA. That's why it sounds so good. I, I have so, so much uh, respect for, for Jamie. What a, what an incredible, he's in Nashville. He's worked with a lot of big artists and different people. Um, and I loved working with him, but I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, do, I doodle around in my little studio with stuff. You know, now you can, I mean, I can do pretty much everything. You know, I can play, you know, um, 
guitars and strings. I can do everything here with keyboards and stuff. I can't sing it, so I got to hire singers. But um, that's kind of what I enjoy. But I, I, I just don't. I don't think I could contribute enough in the studio that that they would want me around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe maybe I could. I don't know. But I, 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 the desire is not there like it was. You have to understand the music business. Uh, I know it's different now, but it can't be any different in this sense. Everybody is trying to have success, you know, music and everybody writes songs, they think. Uh, and to have to get a hit of any kind is just so next to impossible. You know, it's just uh, it's got to be the perfect storm in a positive way. You know, I mean, everything just has to work. You, you got to have the, the song arrangement. Singer, everything's got to be fall into place the stars and everything i mean got to be everywhere it's just so difficult and it's just it's a war it really is a war because you're out there uh with all this competition uh, and people you know trying to get in front of you and and you know trying to get someone to like something you've done is is not easy it's 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 hard it's very hard and you just got to keep at it and keep at it. And you got to be in that stream, in that consciousness, in that drive, you know, to do it. And um, I mean, there's always exceptions, of course, very few to that. But uh, so, you know, it's like it's like kind of like you're on the uh, uh, in, in the big race, you know, on, on uh, uh, racing a NASCAR. And then you get into the expressway and then you get into like the two lane highway. And I guess I'm kind of in the two lane. <laughs> Tulane Highway, you know, <laughs> driving along and uh, only because, you know, I'm just not out there competing on a daily basis and really don't want to and can't. It's just, you know, I know what it takes. So you, you just released the book, um, kind of given the history of the Pac-Man Fever album. What can you tell us about that? It's a great book. You need to go buy it right now. <laughs> and, and I already uh, did that. It, yeah, I greet you. That is a um, great, you know, great it, book. It, Oh, thank you. Uh, the idea actually came, uh, Mike Stewart is a very close and dear friend, one of my oldest friends, and played on a lot of the stuff in the album, both albums, the original one and the remake. And Mike is a very successful guy in Nashville doing a lot of work, internet uh, work with some of the artists and stuff. Uh, but he uh, became friends with uh, Daniel Hall. Daniel has his own publishing company and has published very successfully a lot of uh, e-books. And the two of them got to talking about an idea last year, and I came up you know, in the middle of the idea because they wanted to have uh, someone that had, uh, you know, a national hit, especially worldwide, if they could get to try this experiment. And the idea was uh, nobody had ever done, uh, put music with uh, eBooks, you know, had ever put the links and done all that. And they wanted to try that as an experiment. So that's what this, uh, how this actually began. And uh, so over a course of time, you know, with interviews and I, I didn't really write the book per se. Uh, I mean, I, uh, I've certainly furnished, you know, uh, a lot of interviews and a lot of ideas, but, but the idea of the book is, is to have a book about the song, how it came about, uh, and also to, uh, to make these other things available. And I think people are really going to like that. It's, it's a great deal for, for $5. I mean, you get a lot of stuff, uh, and, and, uh, I, I think hopefully it's going to be very successful, but I, uh, that's where the idea came from, from, uh, from, from Dan, Daniel Hall and, and Mike Stewart. And uh, they, did a, I think, did a good job. I know it's kind of early, but is there even any thoughts of perhaps a second expanded edition? Well, what they're 
you know, this is something that's going to evolve. So who knows where exactly it will go. But I think the thinking is uh, perhaps doing this for each of the songs uh, or at least some of the songs, you know, doing the background in each song. Uh, but I don't know if we're going to, I don't know if that'll come about, but that, that was kind of the idea. Uh, I know I have a couple ideas myself to do, uh, another book or two eBooks. Um, and we'll see if that comes to pass. But, uh, uh, I think it's a, a great idea, fascinating idea, a different way to, uh, uh, have the music exposed and, and have a way for people to purchase and get to an audience that we don't ordinarily get to. You mentioned some of the, of course, the projects that you are currently working on. Are there any other projects that you are working on currently? No, um, it's just, I mean, this coming year is going to be, you know, with this anniversary is going to keep us, keep me pretty busy, probably, uh, you know, with interviews and doing stuff online and so forth. Um, I'll just be doing a lot of that, you know, um, because, I mean, Pac-Man Fever is really an unusual song in that it's associated, of course, with Pac-Man. And he's the huge, regardless of all the other games, he is the the father of all games and, and big. And it's like this just keeps going. It's not me trying to keep it going, but it just keeps going. So we respond to it and and uh, and and keep doing whatever projects that make sense to us to go along with it, like the book and things like that. Because it seems like there's a lot of fans out there that, that want want this stuff and want these things so we do it um but you know i i i I like to do voice work you know i enjoy that uh voice acting because i can do it here in my office so i do that but i i love writing songs i'm going to keep on writing songs you know till the last moment uh and you know something happens great if not doesn't matter because you know if you if you write songs you write them you know you got to do it um and and I, I just have to do it sometimes because it just comes to me and I got to do it. So, no, answer, short answer is uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But we'll see what happens, uh, you know, this year with the anniversary should be a lot of fun things. And and uh, and with the book, you know, we might end up doing some some TV shows. Who knows? And uh, so I'm kind of concentrating, you know, kind of my thoughts are in those those particular areas and it keeps me i still i am busier now than ever in my life that's the funny thing uh, i thought as you get older things slow down but uh i i just stay constantly busy now and i i love it i mean i i'm not complaining but uh it just i it, it's uh it's great you know got a lot of stuff going on uh i keep working at it are there any of the pac-man 40th anniversary projects that you can actually talk about or is it all right now hush because of you know not being official yet well i think we're gonna probably put out some t-shirts uh anniversary shirts and i we just put up on ebay we have pop sockets for sale uh that we will probably really promote for the anniversary they're up there now and and selling like crazy people love these things we got them at a great price and so if you want if it's anyone interested go to ebay and look up pac-man fever uh, pop sockets and then we also have uh, promo pictures that just went up and um, they also the, the it's a picture and, and a bonus uh, of the cheat sheet copy of the cheat sheet that was on the uh, liner sleeves in uh, and, and those are that's for sale all Aut- autographed there's pop sockets and pictures all autographed uh, so we got that stuff going and I think we'll like I said we'll probably do you know some other things associated with uh, 
with the anniversary. And uh, I'm going to be in Florida and Orlando next weekend, which probably, I don't know when your show airs. It'll probably be after this appearance. But getting appearance uh, requests, you know, for the for the year and probably have folks, uh, some of the networks usually call and want to talk about the song and stuff. So, you know, it's going to be a busy, busy year with Pac-Man. By the time this comes out, you'll have already been there. But I see you're going to be at Free Play Florida. What can you tell me about that? You're going to be there with Walter Day and Billy Mitchell, two good friends, two great guys. Nobody has contributed more to the classic game field than these two guys. Uh, they're just terrific. Billy Mitchell is one of the nicest guys. I've seen him do so many nice things for people. We were at dinner one night in Chicago, all of us eating, and and a kid came up uh, and was hope, asked somebody if he could get an autograph or whatever. And so the waiter came over and asked Billy. Billy got up from his meal, went over, talked to this kid, signed an autograph. I mean, spent time with him. His food got cold. But that's the kind of guy he is. He's just a very nice. I know that his persona uh online i think he kind of has a little edge to him you know that's part of his thing but as far as a real person he's just a really great guy and the same thing with walter day just a kind-hearted man these, these are two really good people and richie knuckles great guy too but you know the, these uh i love those guys working with them they're good people can you tell our listeners where they can get your new book and all other things buckner and garcia related uh, for sale at Amazon.com. You can get the printed copy or the e the e uh, version. Um, you know BucknerGarcia.com. That's our main site. We'd love for you to go there and check. They're redoing that actually at the moment. So if you go there, you, it may be a construction thing or whatever. But they're revamping it in anticipation for the anniversary this year. So, but that's Buckner Garcia. No and. It's just BucknerGarcia.com. Uh, you can check that out. And of course the uh, the video, uh, uh, Pac-Man Fever, Eat em Up on uh, YouTube. You can go check that out. And there's, there's other videos. The regular Pac-Man song is up there. And all the songs from the album, I think, are up there. So uh, those things, you know, check those out. And, of course, The Vault. Go check out PacmanFeverVault.com. And I, I guess that would be it. I'd like to thank my guest today, Jerry Buckner. Jerry, it's been great talking to you. I appreciate all you've done for us, both musically and the video gaming world. So I'd like to say thank you. And would you like to say any last words? Ooh, I don't know about last words. That's scary sounding. (laughs) 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 I I, I helped close the show. How about that? All Uh, right. Bob, thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you. You had a lot of great questions. And uh, I love your site. And, uh, and, and I appreciate you, uh, talking about the book and everything. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to do some more things together. Talk, you know, we have some things going on down the road. So thank you, uh, for your time and, and, and enjoy talking to you. And, uh, Hey, let me say happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that to everybody in the holiday season to you too. And thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the eighties arcade podcast. We want to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at 80s Arcade Pod, on Facebook at 80s Arcade Podcast, and on the web at 80sArcadePodcast.com.